thanks again for uh, for joining our weekly uh, Bitcoin review. My name is Jason Zins, partner with Skybridge Capital. Uh, with uh, with us today, Brett Messing, president and co-CIO of Skybridge. As always, we will run through uh, some of the relevant topics in the Bitcoin world of uh, of the last week. Um, certainly, uh, uh, some eventful news today and in the last couple of days. Um, so with that, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and kick it off. As always, if you'd like to ask questions, you can do so uh, with the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. So, um, Brett, we'll start with, uh, with the most recent news, uh, which was... No, no, a no, let me go first. I'm going to start. Go ahead. All right. You had an assignment, which was to watch television this afternoon because <laughs> there was a... Uh, it was a uh, conference where Kathy Wood, Elon Musk, and Jack Dorsey spoke. Um, so why don't you give us all a book report? Uh, what did you learn? You know, what should we know? Uh, absolutely, it was a it was a much anticipated um, appearance by Elon Musk alongside Jack Dorsey and and Kathy Wood. Um, and my biggest takeaways really center around Elon Musk. For you know, probably obvious to most. He made clear repeatedly, um, and the first time this is confirmed publicly, that not only does, does Tesla own Bitcoin, of course, which has been disclosed, SpaceX, a private company, owns Bitcoin on its balance sheet, as does Elon Musk personally. Um, he, uh, he reiterated that he also owns Dogecoin as well as some Ethereum, um, but at, at, multiple, at multiple times, um, made very clear that he owns a lot more Bitcoin than anything else. First time that has been um, confirmed publicly, although I will say Anthony broke that news on Twitter a couple of months ago. Um, high level, I, I think he clearly supports the mission of Bitcoin. His views have evolved. We'll get to the energy side in a moment. Um, but he's made clear that he has large financial incentives across the board Um directly related to, to the price of Bitcoin. On the energy side, obviously, we spent a lot of time on this, uh, on this webinar discussing Tesla no longer accepting Bitcoin for, um, for transactions. Uh, and Elon Musk's focus has been on, on the energy side uh, and, and the fact that a lot of Bitcoin mining was done with dirty coal and, and other energy. And, and there's been reports in recent weeks that with the decline or the banning of mining in China, um, that uh, overall about 50% or more of, of hash, of the hash rate in, uh, in Bitcoin mining is now done with renewables. And so the question was posed very directly to, to Elon, what do you think, do you agree, is Tesla gonna go back to accepting Bitcoin? He didn't go as far as making the announcement on air that uh, they were changing their policy. But he did acknowledge that there have been big improvements, obviously, with, with the, the reduction of mining in China um, and essentially left it as, you know, he was going to do, along with Tesla, a little more due diligence. Um, and if, in fact, they do confirm what is becoming the consensus uh, that roughly 50 percent is, is now done through renewable, it does sound like Tesla is going to reimplement their policy of accepting Bitcoin. So. Brett, I know you've spoken a lot, probably ad nauseum about Tesla and Elon Musk and energy. Um, what, 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 are you, what are your feedback on that? Um, well, I guess my first thought is no, no one is buying 
a Tesla with Bitcoin or virtually no one. So we, we've turned Elon Musk into the good housekeeping seal of approval on the ENESG. Uh, I mean, there's, right, there's no real world significance to Tesla taking you know, Bitcoin. So I, I'm, I find that sort of amusing. Um, look, again, we are in the early stages of Bitcoin where for better or worse, individual actors matter. Um, I view that as a positive because it just speaks to how early it is. And, you know, if we're right and it's early, right, we're going to make a lot more money than if we're mid-cycle and, you know, in Bitcoin. So we're, we're just so super early. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's, this is sort of how bad bear markets start to end is, you know, you get, you know, a cessation of bad news and, you know, you get sort of price creep. Um, and so, you know, I guess my, my general reaction is it's good. You know, again, I'm not, I don't think it's cartwheel worthy, uh, but, you know, it's, it's certainly a step in the right direction. Um, you had mentioned that there was some discussion of the, the S in ESG from Kathy Wood. Uh, you know, why don't you share that with the audience? Yeah, I found this to be to be some uh, interesting talking points from from Kathy Wood. Obviously, ESG is becoming more and more mainstream, especially in institutional investment circles, increasingly important in asset allocation. Um, but as you and I discussed before, a lot of it is focused on E, right, on 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 the environmental side. Um, Kathy wanted to make the point that there's a big social component to Bitcoin. And I thought she she put out some uh, some very interesting statistics in that, um, based on ARC's analysis and research, there are at least four billion people uh, in the world that currently live under dictatorships. Uh, there are one billion people, at least one billion people, that live in jurisdictions of uh, at least double-digit inflation. Um, and and this is where certainly she and Jack Dorsey and and I think even Elon agree that Bitcoin represents some of the best hope for, for those sorts of people, right, in, in, the, in the developing world broadly, as far as economic empowerment. Um, and, and so that's, I think, an area that is less focused on. Um, the, the, the most practical application here is, is really in the global remittance market, which is reported to be, you know, $700 billion plus in, in, uh, uh, annually. Um, Jack Dorsey mentioned that um, fees on remittance can be anywhere from 8% to 30%. Um, and Bitcoin, the Lightning Network, Jack Mahler Strike, other applications essentially drive those fees to zero. And for countries like El Salvador, which we've discussed, that have 25% of their GDP in remittance, that is a major, major deal. And so this S component, I think, you know, doesn't get as much coverage but arguably has the most impact on, on the everyday lives of a big part of, of the global population. No, look, I think it's, um, it's interesting that she raised it. Um, and I think there's a nexus here with some concerns around regulation. Um, and so I'll break some, 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 some messing family news. So my middle daughter, Sam, graduated from Brown Honors, I might say, and she's a very good writer and she wants to work in Bitcoin. And she just for fun is writing a, a sort of a, a piece entitled Open Letter to Elizabeth Warren, Why Progressives Should Love Bitcoin. Um, and it's for, it's for many of the reasons 
you know, that, um, that you, you sort of are outlining there. Um, and I think that the community needs, needs to make the case better um, because, you know, Bitcoin, you know, does represent sort of a hope and a path to sort of financial empowerment for, you know, billions of people in the world. Um, and, and it should be something that the progressive community embraces. Uh, um, so, you know, we'll get Anthony to tweet her, her, her uh, maybe we can get it to go viral and maybe Elizabeth Warren will even read it. But I think uh, the more educated um, the liberal community gets around the, the S, I think, uh, I think it'll help on the regulatory front, not to be totally pragmatic about it. Uh, but uh, anyway, well, thanks for sharing that. I think, you know, um, it's a good day for Bitcoin. We're up. I, I do also want to point out that you and I did this together about a month ago and we, we called for the Jason Zinn's bottom and uh, that proved to not be the case, but- False bottom, yeah. False bottom, it's fine. Uh, you know, I should guess, you know, we, we are in a bear market right now and, uh, and everyone's okay, right? And so we just need to be hodlers, which is what we have, you know, been advising. And, uh, and you know, the most interesting data I've seen relates to sort of new user growth on chain where you can look and see basically the number of new people that are coming into Bitcoin and, you know, notwithstanding the price being sort of crappy and, you know, trading here around the you know, low thirties, you know, the, the chart just shows people are continuing to, you know, buy their first Bitcoin, the, the number, the adoption is continuing. Um, and, and that's, you know, ultimately that's a story that, you know, why we own Bitcoin is, you know, we view it as an adoption story and, you know, the evidence, not, not anecdotal, the hard evidence suggests user growth is going up. So, um, uh, so anyway, so let, let's, let's get on to the week's news. You're, Terrific. You're so, uh, very active week in capital markets as it relates to crypto companies. So we'll start with perhaps the biggest, uh, FTX, uh, the exchange announcing a new funding round um, they're raising or they have raised $900 million at an $18 billion valuation. The company uh, is only two years old. It was founded in May 2019. And its valuation at $18 billion is up starkly from the $1.2 billion valuation from a year ago. Um, it's eccentric and now very wealthy founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, is reported, uh, I just read in, in Forbes, I think, to now have a net worth of, of roughly $18 billion. So the largest private funding round for a crypto company, very big news. Perhaps most interesting is the lineup of investors, right? And I'll name off a few and, and hopefully we can get your reaction on them, Brett. Um, big names like Paul Tudor Jones, Alan Howard, Izzy Englander of Millennium, um, Dan Loeb's third point participating, SoftBank, uh, some of the venture investors like Sequoia, Paradigm, Ribbit, you name it, an all-star blue chip lineup, all, uh, all backing FTX. Your reaction? First of all, two years, right? To create a company and two years later have it worth, be worth $18 billion, um, is absolutely incredible. It should be inspiring to everyone, you know, young and old, right, wherever you are in your career about like what's possible in the world. So I, I think that's just that's just sort of super cool. Um, look, the investor base 
you know, let's focus on sort of the, the Wall Street crowd that's in this. Um, you have the smartest, most successful people, right, wanting to invest, right, in sort of crypto, the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? Steve Cohen two weeks ago, this is too big. We're not going to miss it. We've got to figure out sort of how to play it. Um, so, I, you know, I, you know I, I think we've become dull to that because there have been so many of them. But I think it, 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 it is just a good reminder, right, particularly, you know, when we're in a bear market of, you know, that the greatest investing minds, you know, guys who are my age, not your age, um, you know, are putting real capital um, into the space. But I think the other thing that is interesting let's focus on Paul Tudor Jones. Um, so, you know, Paul Tudor Jones has played a critical role, I think, in our Bitcoin adoption. You know, when he, in May of last year, he went on CNBC and sort of outed himself as a Bitcoiner. And that really provided air cover for, you know, other people who, you know, uh, manage money to, to buy Bitcoin. Um, that said, you know, we're aware that in Tudor, Tudor's hedge fund, his Bitcoin holdings are quite small. Um, and, and, and that really stands in sharp contrast to, you know, how vocal he's been. And, you know, I, I have assumed that he has a very large personal position in Bitcoin and, and the fund, right, much smaller. And this just sort of validates that, right? So the investment was made by the Paul Tudor Jones family, not Tudor Investments. And I think what that reflects is that, you know, the investor base, and I think, look, we've, we've found this, it just it isn't there yet. Um, and I'm sure he has large chunks of capital from people who are like, I don't want to do crypto. If you buy Bitcoin, you know, you're going to get a redemption notice from us. And so, you know, he's a great money manager, but he's also a businessman. And, and he made the judgment, right, that his, his investor base will only tolerate you know, I guess a relatively nominal amount of, of Bitcoin, but, you know, he clearly wants, you know, much more exposure to that, uh, both in Bitcoin and through, I imagine he's made other, you know, private investments in companies. And again, it's just, it's further evidence of how early we are. Um, you know, I had this sort of a, epiphany about what I think the, the path forward is going to be. I actually shared it with someone at, at uh, a senior person at, at Nidig last night who actually said, you know, they're really smart. He had it two weeks ago. So that doesn't surprise me. If, we're only, if we remain two weeks behind Nidig, we'll be doing great. But um, which is, I, I, I think most of the institutions are going to miss it. Um, you know, Tesla stock was under-owned, has always been under-owned by institutions. In fact, you know, there's a, there are avenues of tiers of hedge fund managers you know, that have lost not just, you know, tens or hundreds, but in the aggregate billions of dollars shorting Tesla. So not only did they not own it, they, they were shorted. Um, you know, Amazon was incredibly underowned, particularly for its first 15 plus years. Um, I, I, you know, we're going to continue to see institutional adoption, but I think it's going to be slow. And I think, I think this is going to be, you know, I don't want to say retail phenomena, but I think it's going to be individual investors globally, right, that are going to continue to accumulate Bitcoin and, and, and drive it higher. Um, and new institutions will, will eventually come into it. But again, they come into Amazon. Amazon's now much more institutionally owned. But, you know, the real money 
right, was made um, when it was, you know, under-owned, you know, to, to, to a great degree. And so um, I just find, again, that the fact that you have these, these hedge fund managers like Izzy, Izzy Englander, right, who runs Millennium, one of the most successful hedge funds on the planet, these guys are as close to being bulletproof in terms of, you know, there's so much equity with their investors. They could do virtually anything that they want. And they're choosing to do this personally, but not in their funds. Um, and that's clearly a business decision. I, it's just it's an interesting one. I mean, do, do you have a, a reaction to either the FTX news or just, or, you know, my take? Yeah, no, I think you, you made an interesting point that, that sort of ties into a much higher level point, the democratization of, of investing with the likes of, of Robin Hood and, and the, the Reddit army, if you will. Um, I, I think you know, your comments on, on Bitcoin and institutions potentially missing it is, is all um, part of this, this larger theme of, of the democratization of finance, which ultimately should be good for, you know, for consumers and for the average investor. Um, and so, you know, as long as, as the regulators will co- cooperate or at least stay out of the way of retail investors, um, you know, ho- hopefully they'll participate, they'll, they'll get the big gains and, and some of the institutions, um, to your point, may, may miss out. Um, do you see that changing anytime soon? And, and how much of this is, is tied to price and volatility? I think it's I think it's incredibly tied to volatility. Um, uh, you know, it's just you know you have an asset where again you can be down almost forty percent in a month. Uh, you know, even a small position size, right, can can you know have a big impact on your your return stream. Uh, so I think that I think some of these managers are saying, look, even if we make money in Bitcoin, it might be bad for business. Um, uh, because if it increases our volatility, you know, people will judge us differently. Maybe we're slotted in for a certain slot in their portfolio, and now our fund will be acting differently. Um, so I think it's the volatility. Um, I also think it has a lot to do with the access. Um, you know, while there are these institutional custodians, you know, we don't yet have the first ones will be State Street and BNY, where you know, they will actually act as a custodian and hold your Bitcoin. Right now, it's, it's Fidelity Digital, it's NIDIC, it's Coinbase. You know, we're obviously comfortable. We have, fund, we have funds that are registered investment companies. That's where they own their Bitcoin. You have a lot, you know, Tesla and MicroStrategy Square, public companies holding Bitcoin by these sort of non-bank institutions. Uh, but I spoke to a hedge fund manager, a very large fund who's very, you know, bullish on Bitcoin, owns a lot personally. And his take was, I need a commercial bank. Okay. You know, I just, you know, knighted Coinbase doesn't work for my, my investor base. And so it'll be interesting to see um, once again, we have large U.S. banks providing custody, it, you know, how much that, that changes and what that means. And then again, I think the ETF will actually matter because it will be just an easy trading vehicle. I mean, right now, if you're a hedge fund and you decide you want to trade Bitcoin, there's a fair amount of logistical stuff you have to go through, right? Where are you going to custody it? How do you move the money around? How does it roll up to your administrator, right? Whereas once there's an ETF, right, it, it's just a stock, 
right? It's really, you know, it's no different than trading Disney stock in terms of, you know, how you engage with it. So um, I, I think the ETF will facilitate adoption uh, just because, you know, it operates in the existing ecosystem. Uh, so a, a lot of this then, you know, is, is, a, is a regulatory a regulatory matter in, in various different forms. You've got the ETF, you've got what the banks and the custodians can do. So um, certainly seems to be some noise heating up out of Washington on the regulatory side with Elizabeth Warren and the F SEC and the Fed. And so we'll, we'll see where all of that dialogue goes. Um, relatedly, and I, I think, you know, when you look at the FTX round, there were a few others. We, I think we spoke about them last week. Um, two big SPAC deals with Circle, um, and with bullish crypto exchange, looks like we have so a, this is a special you, this guest. This is how you dress for the Bitcoin review? You're, you're, in, you're wearing short oh, well, sleeves. Look at this, though. I mean, what's going on here? With yeah, the, this the, is how you dress? The summer beard. The Bitcoin review? All right. We're uh, just checking. I hijacked, like, hijacked you, Anthony's office. How do you like the office, Jace? Okay, I know, nice. you, I know you want my W-2 on top of everything I could get else. Used how do you to like this. the office? I could get used to this. We'll right. talk. Uh, th thank you, Anthony. So, um the FTX round, some of the SPAC deals last week, you have in our newsletter, um, SoftBank participating in the, the bullish uh, deal with a $75 million investment. You had just today another SPAC um, bringing a Bitcoin miner public. Um, this is all, as we discussed, sort of the picks and, picks and shovels approach, right? You're seeing this big pickup in venture and, and private equity investment in the ecosystem, um, which I think plays to your point on, you know, there's still a lot of challenges and a lot of aversion to owning Bitcoin outright. So speak to, to this sort of picks and shovels approach, if you will, Brett. Yeah, again, I, you know, I think that there's, there's, there's a couple aspects to it. There's the easy to buy a stock versus to buy spot Bitcoin, to me, spot Bitcoin presently. There's the, you know, the volatility, you know, I think these at these business stocks will just be less volatile than spot Bitcoin is. The longer term, though, why I think it's, it's so good for Bitcoin for a lot of reasons, but the more people study Bitcoin, the more they learn it and understand it, the more likely they are to want to buy it and own it. And, and so, you know, I think it's great that there's this proliferation of public companies because I do think you're going to have some number of smart managers get involved and they'll look, be looking at a, a minor or a custodial business and they'll be like, why don't we just buy Bitcoin? Why are we, you know, um, in every business, right, you, you have a, a level of operational risk, right? You know, uh, you know, Bitcoin mining, you know, where is it? You know, what's the, what's the regulatory outlook, right? We'll think about Chinese miners, Um What's your energy source? Look at Texas, right, where the energy you know got shut down. Um, just human error, which you know that all goes away when you just buy spot Bitcoin. So uh, again, it's an adoption story. You know, I view a lot investing in those as like a gateway drug, um, and some amount of those people will you know end up buying Bitcoin. It's 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 um, it's all very very good for the sector. Certainly would agree. I think. It also just speaks to uh, the belief in the long term of the ecosystem, right? You have billions of dollars flooding into the ecosystem, the private companies, the miners, the exchanges, 
the bank entities, right? These second layer solutions, billions and billions of dollars are flooding into this space from very, very smart institutional investors. And so for the time being, while they might not be buying Bitcoin outright, and while the price of Bitcoin, Bitcoin might be you know, lower than we'd all like uh, for, for July 21st, um, I think it, it does combine with this adoption story that you've touched on, um, bode well, hopefully for, for the future, the long-term of Bitcoin and, and the ecosystem. Well, and to, to, to tie that together with the regulatory issue, so all this money means jobs, right? Those jobs are people, those people have friends. Now we have more people buying Bitcoin. Those are voters, right? And so, you know, as it becomes a bigger and bigger business, um, regulators will embrace it. And, and, I, and I think you're gonna see, uh, you know, Texas benefit from embracing mining. Um, Tennessee is embracing mining. Miami is trying to become, you know, the Silicon Valley of Bitcoin, and I think they're gonna they're gonna be successful in that regard. Um, Eric and, Adams, the presumptive mayor of New York, is, has said yeah, he wants to bring. No, exactly, them. exactly. You know, um, so um, you know, I, I I think it's uh, it's all it's all it's all good for Bitcoin. And and to tie it back to the beginning, I think all of this speaks to the S, the social component of ESG, which. Kathy Wood has 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 tried to highlight Bitcoin and crypto is much more than just, you know, a speculation and an investment vehicle. And you're starting to see that with a lot of these these private funding rounds and, and ecosystem plays. Um, well, well, one thing which I know wasn't on our agenda, but I did want to touch on it, which, you know, the adoption rate has been driven a lot this year by virtue of you know, the pandemic and, you know, all the money printing. If you remember, Stan Druckenmiller said that when he first encountered Bitcoin, he saw it as a, you know, a solution in search of a problem, which with respect to Druckenmiller is a very U.S. centric view. But after COVID, you know, he now sees, right, Bitcoin is a, you know, a monetary life raft, right? Um, I think the tenure is telling us something that's very interesting. Um, I didn't see where we closed. We got as low as 115 two days ago, uh, but we had that super hot inflation number, right? The 10 year went to 140 and, and again, it got down as low as 115 on, on Monday. So what is the 10 year telling us and why are we discussing it on, on the Bitcoin show? Um, I, th I think it's saying two things. One is it's saying Jerome Powell is right. Inflation is transitory, right? We inflation number of five point something Right. And the 10 year rallies the yield down to 115. The second thing it's saying, right, is the Delta variant is going to slow global growth. Right. Not recession. But, you know, I think we were looking for something like six and a half percent in GDP. Maybe we end up at five and a half percent or five. You know, there's talk that the Olympics might get canceled. Um, you, know, you know, my dad canceled the trip. You know what I mean? There are I was supposed to see Springsteen Saturday night and decided not to go. Um, those decisions on the margin, like I'm not saying we're going to go back to lockdown, um, but I do think you're going to see a, a, a slowing growth. And what that means is that that slowing of the tapering gets pushed out further. Right. So more that 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 money printing machine just keeps on rolling. And I think the odds of Biden pushing through a large infrastructure program government spending, stimulus, whatever you want to call it, 
are going to keep going up, you know, as the Delta variant, you know, uh, becomes a real thing. And, you know, this isn't science, but, you know, I have a number of friends who are double vaccinated and they got COVID. Now the cases were mild. Um, but I, you know, I, I, uh, I think it sets up a very good macro landscape for Bitcoin. Um, you know, I talked to Mike Novogratz in the last several months and his biggest concern was high rates. In fact, he was short the 10 year um, as a hedge. And this is the problem with being long and short, right? Which is in the short term, he's lost on both, right? His crypto assets declined in price and he's lost money on the 10 year short. But, but I, I completely agree with him is that, you know, I, I have been concerned that, you know, if we saw yields really back up, you know, you know, we, the 10 year, if you remember, went from 90 basis points to 180 in the first quarter. You know, if that had continued to go to two and a half and three. And, you know, when yields get rolling against you, it's not quite Bitcoin, but they can move really fast. Um, and so, again, I think that the backdrop for Bitcoin is 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 really, really good. Um, so I just wanted to throw that into the adoption discussion. Weaving in some some macro and and. You know, we, we don't talk about it as much, but but you think back to, you know, Stan Drunkenmiller's comments and last March being a catalyst. A lot of that was the money printing and the stimulus. Um, and to your point, there had been some concerns or discussions that that was maybe going to fade and taper was going to come into play. But um, with the pickup in the Delta variant and the potential slowdown in the economy, it looks like you know, pumping and stimulus is, is very, very, very much back into the mainstream. So we'll see how that, uh, if, uh, if that filters in, into the price of Bitcoin in the near term. Um, we'll move now into, into our last topic and then we'll take some questions, which is uh, the difficulty adjustment. Um, you've got, uh, you've got the, the app on your phone now that, uh, that you look at. What, why don't you speak quickly at a high level to explain what the difficulty adjustment is um, and then why it's relevant um, of late. No, so, you know, Bitcoin was, everything that makes up Bitcoin was sort of existing ideas that Satoshi, you know, sort of assembled in this sort of unique and novel way. But there was one part where he made a, a substantial contribution, which is the difficulty adjustment. And you know, some have suggested it's worthy of, you know, a Nobel economics prize. Um, but essentially, as, as, as we all know, the Bitcoin network consists of, you know, a collection of Bitcoin miners around the world and, and nodes. We operate a node here at Skybridge um, and coins are mined, right, every 10 minutes. And, and they're mined through the process, right, of solving these complex math problems. So, you know, when there's when the computing power in the network increases, you know, the the problems get solved more quickly and and it can take us off of this issuance schedule. So what happens is every two weeks, um, the Bitcoin network will adjust to make sure that the level of difficulty of the math problem results. Right. It matches the amount of computing power with the math problem difficulty level, right, to give us a Bitcoin every 10 minutes, right? And so what we had in the beginning of July, following the Chinese miners getting completely unplugged, was the largest difficulty adjustment downward in the history of Bitcoin, right? So 
it was it was a 28% adjustment down, okay, the largest ever. So we had a difficulty adjustment on uh, Saturday night, and it was about 7% or so, 7 or 8, I can't remember exactly. Um, it was the fourth one in a row that was down. And it's the it's the first time in the history of Bitcoin that there were four difficulty adjustments downward in a row. Uh, in fact, there was only one time where we had three in a row. And I think, I mean, I'm fascinated by this for a couple reasons. One is again, it's just the brilliance of the design, uh, this, this concept of difficulty adjustment, but it really shows the resiliency you know, of the network. Again, we had, we had half the network unplugged Right. And Bitcoin just keeps chugging away. Right. It's if, as a user, as an investor, and then the price changing, it, it, nothing really happens. Um, so I do. I now have an app on my phone, as you rightly point out, where I can see what the projection is for the difficulty adjustment. So the next one will come at the end of the month. And it looks like it will be an upward adjustment. So that what that will indicate to us is more computing power coming back onto the network. Now, historically, there's been a correlation between difficulty adjustments and price. So um, again, you know, I think that there, there are a number of variables why Bitcoin's price will, I think, resume climbing. And you know, I would put sort of the, the difficulty adjustment turning upward, which is really just reflecting you know, more computing power coming on, a more secure network. And again, I think it will just underscore for people, you know, again, how resilient it is. Like the state attack was launched on Bitcoin. It was successful in that it drove all the miners out. It was unsuccessful if its goal was to in any way hamper Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network. And so, um, again, I think it, it's, it's, the thing that made this difficulty adjustment noteworthy is the projections that it will be the last downward because we're starting to see those Chinese miners get plugged in elsewhere, whether they be in Kazakhstan or in Maryland or in Canada. Um, now it's gonna take time. Um, the projections are it'll take six to 12 months before all that capacity you know, comes back on. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see because that's how we'll be able to track it is, is we'll be able to track it through these difficulty adjustments. So, you know, it's something that I, you know, I think we should, you know, keep an eye on. Uh, but again, I think it's, it just, you know, the part of Bitcoin that's really, really interesting. Well, and I think more broadly, the last three plus months, you've had massive shocks to, to Bitcoin and to crypto. I mean, you had in the month of May, the, the second largest drawdown in the price of Bitcoin. And you have just in, in you know, this last month or two, um, a seismic shift in the network as far as mining and hashing power, leaving China, going elsewhere, a, a lot of it coming to the US. And so um, you, you, you talk about stress tests to the system, to the price, to the asset, and it's been, uh, it's certainly been a wild couple of months. So with that, we'll, uh, we've got a, a number of questions here that we'll, uh, we'll run, run through quickly and, and we'll close it out. Um, the first one, wasn't Anthony just flying over Fenway Park today? 
I believe that's right. You, you may be able to make out behind me the, the Superman poster. Uh, maybe a- Anthony fashions himself a Superman. And, and yeah, he, he, uh, he was in Boston today. He's now here in New York. Not sure how he did it, uh, but, but good question. Um, a few here about, um, about price, short-term, long-term. Um, with Bitcoin hitting below 30K this past week, how does this impact previous price predictions? Um, 100K and higher at the end of this year. Is that still a number we should be looking at? And I guess more broadly, what's your view on price targets at all, Brett? Um, well, first of all, I think about Bitcoin through a time prism, not a price prism. So I'm going to say, you know, um, I doubted myself as being irresponsibly long. And, you know, people ask me, well, when would you sell some to go buy a toy or, you know, do something with? And what I would say is not till 2025. And, and that's because of the having cycles, right? So, you know, we had a, a having event in 2020, March of 2000, excuse me, May 2020, when the number of Bitcoin issued in a day was cut in half. And there was, that usually starts a bull market cycle, excuse me. The next having will occur in March of 2024. So, you know, again, I, you know, we think we're going to go from 100 million users today to over a billion by 2025. If you couple that with the having that, you know, we know is coming, that's where the prices can get sort of stupid. Um, with respect to the price this year, um, yeah, no, we are, we've now deviated from what, there's this, a, a model we've discussed called the stock to flow model, um, which was uh, plan B who created it. Um, he goes by the name plan B. Um, we did a salt talk, which I think people, it was one of our most viewed salt talks would find interesting. I'm actually, not a big fan of the stock to flow model, which um, uh, which maybe we'll save for a different show because I think we're, 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 we're sort of running along here. Um, but I'll, I guess just the direct answer to the question, I do not think we have seen the high price for Bitcoin this year. So we've already hit, I think 64,500. I think we will hit a price that is higher than that in the fourth quarter, um, you know, my personal view is, is we probably have lost a hundred thousand. You know, I don't think I anticipated us, you know, being in a bear market, um, which we are, um, you know, I think we probably start emerging, you know, in the fall, you know, it's the summertime, you know, it, it has a feel of a bear market. The level of interest is lower. I mean, you know, we have our lowest number of participants on this call. Thank you everyone for coming who did. Uh, but this is what a bear market sort of feels like. Um, so I think we'll, when we get to the fall, price will start doing better. I think we'll 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 get above where we were with a Coinbase IPO. But you know, if you had asked me over under on a hundred thousand, I'd say under. But again, if we get back to the Coinbase IPO price, it's a hundred percent return from here. Um, so you know, I can tell you, I bought. You know, I took advantage of of being below thirty yesterday. And bought, you know, um, you know, six figures more of uh, of Bitcoin. So, um, I mean, irresponsibly longer. Well, it, maybe it's the the Brett Messing bottom that it's ha- it's had a nice nice jump in the last twenty four hours. One other question related to our our conversation on um, the institutional investor side. 
The question is, should Bitcoin owners feel less satisfied or secure with the asset now that it has become so mainstream and adopted by the world's billionaires? Um, more secure, I, I assume they're not talking about custody. Um, no, look, I think, um, I, I think Bitcoin is no different than, you know, if I buy a sweater and then, you know, one of my daughters is reading People magazine and I see George Clooney's wearing the same sweater, I think, huh, I, I did a pretty good job of picking out a cool sweater. Um, so I think we all appreciate validation. And uh, um, so I think ultimately, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's good for Bitcoin. But what we have to be prepared for also is, uh, you know, Paul Tudor Jones going on TV and talking about why he sold all his Bitcoin. You know, I mean, uh, uh, they just may not, you know, they're, they're not going to all be Lauren Buffett in their orientation towards towards Bitcoin. But I think that'll just be part of the healthy maturation of Bitcoin. Well, I think that's probably a first fashion and and George Clooney on these Bitcoin there reviews. So we'll, we'll leave it there. Just very quickly, Brett, one, uh, one participant would like to know, the app that you use to monitor the future or the estimate of, of the difficulty adjustment? That's a good question. It's called, um, oh, hold on one second, bitawr.com. It's a website, actually not an app. So I just have the, the website, you know, as a home screen button. Terrific. That, uh, that does it for us this week. We, uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week on the Bitcoin review. Uh, with that, thanks very much, Brett. All right, thank you. Thanks, everybody.